0: Fight Back with Libby Zneimer on Zoomer Radio.
1: Welcome back. We turn now to the safety and security of your money. And if you are a customer of either CIBC or the Bank of Montreal, you might be worried today. I can tell you that I am. Yesterday, those two of our biggest banks warned that fraudsters may have accessed personal and financial information of up to 90,000 customers. The Bank of Montreal said hackers contacted the bank on Sunday, claiming to be in possession of the personal information and threatened to make it public unless a ransom was paid. The bank said it believes the attack originated outside Canada, but it didn't elaborate. Neither of the banks want to speak to us, but they say they are reaching out to clients. All this begs the question, what should we be doing to protect ourselves. Uh, First of all, you certainly should be checking your accounts, but there's probably other stuff as well. So now we go to David Murakami Wood, who is an associate professor and Canada Research Chair in Surveillance Studies at Queen's University, and Terry Cutler, an ethical hacker and cybersecurity expert. Welcome. How are you? Fine. How How are you?
2: Any better and i couldn 't handle it
1: okay <laughs> let let 's start with David Murakami Wood does this first of all did this surprise you in any way? No, not at all. I mean you know it 's been known for a long
3: time that there 's pretty much some severe structural vulnerabilities in the Canadian financial system, particularly the banking sector. Um, I mean, a report from the Bank of Canada you know, warned about this a couple of years ago. Um, and so this kind of thing is happening, Not, if not exactly regularly, uh, it's happening fairly frequently. Terry?
2: Yeah, so a lot of people don't realize that hackers are actually in a system for six to 12 months before the breach gets detected. So these hackers, there's no way that they just logged in overnight and got access to this data. They've, they've probably been in there for, for several weeks and months scoping out the place, doing reconnaissance, so they'd lower all the networks were attached, and then got access to the data, and that's when the breach got detected.
1: Mm-hmm. Are we sure that they actually got access to the data? It's uh, unclear to me if it was a threat, or this is absolutely certain. The bank said oh, no, maybe. The,
3: yeah, the, the information has been confirmed by a number of sources, at least from a, on a sample basis, and they've definitely had some quite some quite substantial amounts of personal information, including right down to things like the password replacement questions and so on in some cases. So I think it's undoubtedly the case they have data, um, and it's enough in some cases to withdraw money and even uh, open new accounts and so on.
1: And so what should we be doing, whether we are – first of all, how do we find out if we have been affected?
2: I don't think you should wait. Um, Obviously, the the, the recommendation we have for consumers is – change your password, right? But we keep hearing this all the time, and people create really lousy, weak passwords like John123, and people need to understand that you need to create an unbreakable password which is between 16 and 25 characters long. Now I know what you're thinking, is this guy crazy? How are you gonna remember a password like this? But you gotta think of things like song lyrics or phrases. For example, I had a great day at work 2018, exclamation point, just capitalize each letter of the word and that code alone will take 10 years to break. And if you want to make it unbreakable, replace the A's with that symbol, the O's with a zero, and that thing will take 39 centuries to break. Yeah, so that, you want to make sure really you change that password, and also make sure you turn on what's called two-step verification. Which that's is? Where, which is basically you turn on, you, you, you enter your username and password, right. and then a text message will come to your phone with a random code that you also have to enter. So this way it's not only a password that you know, it's something that you have, which is your device.
3: Yeah. Okay. Confirms right in the longer term, we really need to be thinking about not using passwords as a system anymore, because despite the fact, yes, you can come up with memorable passwords, as Terry's just mentioned, I mean, one of the problems is people always default to simple things. And in the end, you can, we can blame users as much as we like, but they're going to do this. And so we need to develop systems that actually take account of the fact that users really have limited patience and limited memory for passwords, and, and develop new systems. So it's not just you know two-factor authentic- authentication; it's also maybe using biometrics and other absolutely that, 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 you know instead of passwords. I think they're actually very a very weak point in the system.
2: That's it. The, the consumers find it very uh, uh, annoying to enable all these advanced security features, but you have to understand that security is not convenient. It's to protect your information. And people don't realize that that can happen to them. And when it does, that's when they start thinking about cybersecurity, when it's too late.
3: Absolutely.
1: I'm going to give the numbers out again. I'd like to hear from people, especially if they have questions, if they're customers of the banks that were affected. You know, I know that after we get off the air here, I'm going to go and change a bunch of passwords. But, you know, I'm not sure that I'm going to be able to take up your suggestion to create something with 16 different well, letters. One, one thing you can do yeah.
3: is actually to use a password management system, especially for online stuff, where you actually have a, a sort of uh, password that opens up other passwords passwords. And that's when you can really deploy something more complicated. And as Terry just mentioned, one of the suggestions is that in those password management systems, you can have much more complicated passwords that are actually simpler to remember. So say, you know, four or five words that are just random words, but you know them. So like, you know, oak tree monkey pants. Oak tree monkey (laughs) (laughs) pants. You remember it, right? Nobody else will be able to work out what that is. So it's actually, it seems less secure in some ways, but actually it's far more secure than a string of random random numbers and letters that you'll forget, and you'll have to replace at one point very quickly. So if you use a password management system to a- have access to your other passwords, and that one has a really strong phrase-based or word-based password system. And then like I just that, have to remember
1: the, uh, the password to the password management that's right, system. That's right. That's
2: it. Now just to add more fuel to the fire, okay, because when I get hired to do intrusion tests, um, if ever I get access to the system, I breach the system, and I pull down everybody's passwords username and passwords. sometimes I can't break those passwords. They're encrypted. They're, they're very secure. I can still take that encrypted information and send it off to a system, and it's going to log me in without knowing your username and password. So that's why it's, this two-step verification is extremely important because you know, once your password gets out there, at least you'll receive a text message to your device saying that someone's trying to use your password, and you're going to know, oh, I think I've been compromised, and you're going to go and change it again
3: okay
1: of course, let one me of the, one let of
3: the me just is with that though is of course many spear phishing attacks that is you know, targeted attacks oh. also use those kind of text message warnings
1: mm-hmm. you've
3: got to be very careful you don't fall for a fake warning that's uh, that's it that's one of the be you know, cases it might be the case in this one in this case
1: yeah
2: for so consumers <laughs> i hear I feel they're spinning right now.
1: Okay, <laughs> I'm going to give the numbers out again, 416-360-0740, toll-free 866 740 I'm talking to David Murakami Wood and Terry Cutler about the latest breach of personal and financial information at two of our big banks. We're getting some advice on what we should do in the light of this. Don't wait till they get in touch with you to tell you that there's a problem with your account. First of all, certainly check your account. They're here to answer questions about how you should deal with the question of passwords, how to remember the passwords and access the passwords. Right now, we are taking a quick break and we will be right back with more of this. Stay with us.
0: Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio.
1: We're back talking about how to keep your money safe. As we've been saying, two of our biggest banks had a breach that they announced yesterday. Up to 90,000 customers have been compromised. There's personal and financial information out there. The banks say that the breach originated outside Canada. The fraudsters asked for a ransom in Bitcoin or other cryptocurrencies, the banks did not comply. They don't want to talk to us. They do say they are getting in touch with customers who've been breached. And the two people I'm talking to say, don't wait for the bank to get in touch with you. There's stuff that we should all be doing. And by the way, even if you're a customer of other banks, there's stuff you should be doing because just because we weren't, you weren't hit this time. I mean, I, do you think that there's any difference between any of the banks, David?
3: Well, I, I can't comment on the specific security arrangements in each bank. Obviously, if I knew about them, I'd be, uh, no. <laughs> I'd be, I'd be a, a bad guy. I might actually be hacking the banks myself. No, I'm joking. Um, but you know, the, I, th- I think the important thing here is I don't think we can put all this on the consumer. There's things the consumer can do, but in the end, if we throw all this on the consumer, as Terry said earlier on, they'll be spinning. You know, and in the end, it's not their responsibility to secure our data. Um, right. The banks themselves are the custodians of this data, and they have the legal and the ethical responsibility to secure it. And at the moment, as, as countless reports have said, there are structural problems. They are not doing this properly. There needs to be a lot more attention to security, especially to, say, keeping data uh, you know, that shouldn't be combined in different places, making it much less easy for it to be put together. I and mean, if you can get into a system and access all of this stuff so quickly and so easily, then there's something wrong with that security management system, that data management system. Um, and I think whatever the policies the bank, particular banks have, we need to actually make, it, make people aware that it's not just all on them. Every time these things happen, this is what happens. We give advice to consumers, but the consumers need to be demanding action from the
1: banks. And Terry, Terry I just do. want to ask in terms of the bank's response to this particular breach that's happening right now, are they doing enough
2: well i mean the, the, they're doing what's called breach disclosure, which is fairly quickly, which is very quick, which is which is a good thing, okay, but being in the investigation field it, it, the investigation doesn't just happen overnight, okay, it could take weeks to uncover how it got in, uh, what did they touch, what did they get access to because a lot of times you these systems aren't logging everything. And uh, and hackers are trained to clean up after themselves once they've reached the system. They start manipulating logs, uh, hide their tracks and and encrypt the information which is like uh it scrambles the information so that the, the bank security systems can't detect them.
1: Mm-hmm. So
2: that's why I'm saying they can be in there for months at a time. And you know, for the consumers, you know, the advice I can give them quickly is to monitor their bank account. If they see small transactions like 15 cents here, 20 cents there. Those are what's called pings. That means that their information was most likely sold in the black market and the scammers are testing their bank accounts or credit cards to make sure that they're actually active.
3: Absolutely.
2: And you're gonna see a couple of small transactions and then boom, thousand bucks, or whatever the limit they can get.
1: Okay, and they're out. let's take a call from Mary in Toronto. Hi, Mary. Hi, I'm hardly a computer guru, but I haven't heard at this point being covered. Tell me, if a
3: person does not use online services for banking, would this uh, hacking affect them?
2: I would say the answer is yes, because your information is in the banking system.
3: Uh Aha. Okay, so, yeah. they enter it digitally, and it's, um, um, oh, okay. Thank you Absolutely. very much.
2: No problem. And uh, like I guess that's why it's important, like, because even though your information, uh, you know, sometimes you may not bank with BMO or, or CIBC, but your information could be shared. And especially what happened with Equifax, with their breach, um, you know, we're, we're at severe risk right now.
3: Okay, one of the good point. I mean, these data brokers that, that work between other organizations are one of the biggest uh, problems right now as well. And, again, and, and the other
2: challenge about- we're going to have is that law enforcement can't just get on the plane and go to wherever they think it is, like in Russia that these, these guys are, um, are hacking, because there's, there's different jurisdictions. And also law enforcement is so overwhelmed right now that they don't have the, the bandwidth or the resources to actually pull this off.
3: Yeah, I mean, and it's, been, it's been a long time that, you know, this kind of enforcement mechanisms have been, the police have not really wanted to get involved for a very long time. It's, oh shit, it's often been left to the consumer to deal with It's the with crime that.
2: of the future. They have to be up to date now.
1: Okay, let's be, yeah. uh, let's try and take another call in. Mike in Mississauga. Hi, Mike.
2: Hi, enjoy your show. Hi, guys. I have a mutual Hi. fund at BMO that's linked to my checking account, and I just wanted to know, can they somehow, you know, get to my mutual fund and sell it on me?
3: Possibly. Um, As I said, take Terry's advice and get in there and change all your passwords. Uh, Make sure that, you know, and talk to your bank about securing those things. I I wouldn't take anything for granted at this stage.
1: Okay. Thanks, Mike. And I have a, a final question for our panelists, and that is we had a call from Mary. You told her that her information might be breached, even though she doesn't use online banking. So is there something those customers can do? Because obviously they don't have passwords to change if they're not online.
2: Well, the thing is, we don't know exactly what they got access to, right? They just say, that, well, 50,000 from one bank and 40 from another. But in, in my experience, when I, when I breach into systems, I get access to almost everything, okay? So there's a good chance that I'm not just gonna pull 40,000 names out of a database. I'm gonna rip the whole thing down. So there, there, there might be a possibility the whole the whole every, the whole bank account could be uh, the whole banking uh, clientele could be taken. We uh, we don't know yet.
1: Okay, but yeah. there's nothing that you can recommend they do.
2: There, there's not much the consumers can do other than just change their password, monitor their bank accounts. I mean, you could apply for credit monitoring, obviously, but you know that most of the credit line, uh, monitoring is owned by Equifax, who also got breached. <laughs> So <laughs> we're in a lot of trouble right now.
1: And David, what would you like to leave us with? Well, I, I agree with
3: everything that Terry has just said. And also, you know, as I, as I'd just like to reemphasize that, you know, the the question of the offline banking accounts reemphasizes the fact that it is the banks that have to deal with this problem fundamentally. We can do various things to keep our information safe, but in the end, we've got to demand better of those who are custodians of our data. And in this case, this can be, you can make, you know, an enormous amount of difference to people's lives. And really banks have got to do better in Canada.
1: Okay. That is all the time we have. Thank you so much to David Murakami-Wood from Queens University and Terry Cutler, an ethical hacker. Thanks for that. Thanks for having me on. Nice to talk to you both. Bye-bye. Take care. Okay. And that is all the time we have for Fight Back for today. And we now break for traffic and news.
0: You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio.